So I'm talking to this guy called Chris. Well, we're talking about production. We're having a discussion. It's been going for about an hour and all of a sudden I realized something. Dude, dude, let's just pause for a moment. Yeah? I, I forgot to press record. And that was the first attempt at running a podcast. We had a great discussion, but only recorded one end. Fortunately, Chris is a cool guy and he took it well, but then he got super busy and couldn't commit to the project. A year later, during August 2015, I decided to have another crack. Now, it's March 2017 and we're at 50 episodes. And I'm going to get into the meat of this podcast shortly, but I need to say a few words first. First of all, I never expected the podcast to get to the point it's at now. It grew very quickly and I only have you guys, the listeners, to thank for that. So thank you. Thank you for listening, for sharing on social media, for telling your friends. And I'm sure I can thank you on the behalf of the guests who've been on. I've had so many of them tell me about the support and kind words they've received as a result of coming on the show. A big shout out to Levi Whalen for helping get this project off the ground. As I'm sure many of you know, Levi was co-host on the earlier discussion-oriented or non-interview episodes. He had other commitments and had to leave, but dude, thanks for helping out early on. I really appreciate it. Finally, a big thank you to all the guests who've been on the show. Uh, If you came on the show, it means you're a busy person by default. Pretty much all artists and industry people are. So thank you for taking the time to share insight and wisdom. Thank you for adding value to the lives of the listeners. You've had a huge impact on many of the people that listen to this podcast. Uh, I know this because I receive emails. I've heard so many stories. Uh, So thank you. It would have been easy to just set up another interview for episode 50, to do a couple hours research, come up with some questions, and Skype call an artist or industry expert. But 50 episodes is a big deal, so I've decided to do something different. In this episode, you're pretty much stuck with me. If you hate listening to a Kiwi accent, then I suggest you stop listening now. I'm going to share 10 things that I've learned from running the podcast, which I believe artists need to hear. Some of these are production specific and others are more industry slash career focused. After that, I'm going to share another four personal takeaways that may or may not be relevant to you as an artist. I've had requests for this. Finally, I'm going to end the episode with a bunch of my favorite excerpts from previous episodes. There's a text version of this podcast on the website. Just head to edmprod.com slash episode dash 50. That is edmprod.com slash episode dash 50. This episode is brought to you by EDM Foundations. EDM Foundations is my course for new producers, those who've been producing for under 12 months, or even those who've just started. The whole idea of the EDM Foundations course is that you learn the fundamentals of music production by actually doing and not just learning the theoretical stuff. The course consists of over 12 hours worth of streamable video where I walk you through the creation of three songs and give you advice and tips for working on your own original alongside them. We've had over 500 people sign up for this course. Many of them have had great results. If you want to learn more about the course, head over to edmfoundations.com. 
Takeaway one, there's no one size fits all approach to production. The beauty of music production is that it's unstructured and allows for almost unparalleled levels of creativity. It doesn't mean there aren't rules or guidelines. You can't add 20 sub basses in your song and expect it to sound good, but it's far less rigid than, say, playing an instrument is. And because of this, there's no one size fits all approach to production. If you hear someone telling you that you should start a song by writing the melody or you shouldn't use ideas from a previous song, then you can ignore them. Rico and Miala said that they like to start by coming up with ideas on a piano. Karanda tends to do a lot of experimentation and sound design. And Noah Neiman, who's been on twice, likes to start from a previous song he's made and use it as a template. The key here is to find out what works for you. Don't conform to one workflow straight away, but instead experiment. Try different things out. At the end of the day, if what comes out the other end sounds good, then it works. Number two, it takes a lot of time to become good. I already held this belief before starting the podcast, but I think it was just solidified through interviewing artists and hearing their stories. Most of the guests who've come on the show have been producing for well over five years, and many of them said that they sucked during the first few years. As a listener, you might find this comforting, or you might find it daunting. If you find it daunting, it's probably because you're too focused on externalities. When will I start making money from my music? How many plays will my next track get? Etc. When your reason for producing is simply that you love making music, the time it takes to become good is less important to you. You know that you're improving, you know that eventually your music will sound good, but you're not in a rush. You enjoy the process. If you listen to these interviews, you'll notice that a lot of artists didn't start out expecting to get where they are today. They focused on their craft with intensity and, over time, things started to fall into place. And that leads me to a bonus takeaway. Focusing on the craft is the most important thing you can do. It's actually takeaway 10, uh, but I'll explain that more when we get there. You'll not hear one guest say that as a producer, you should spend more time on marketing yourself than actually making music, because that's not how it works. High quality music is the minimum, the cost of entry. And if you don't have it, then spending time on other stuff is not effective. So make music, make a lot of music and don't split your focus. The third takeaway, you need to view yourself as a professional. One shared trait among successful producers, especially those that have come on the show, is professionalism. JTEC talked about the importance of having a professional mindset in episode 19, but this is something that's permeated almost every interview. You need to view yourself as a professional. What does that mean? First, it means having self-discipline and working day in and day out, even when you don't necessarily feel like it. It means working on music every day. It means working on sound design or something else if you don't feel inspired to work on a track. It means working towards your goals and vision consistently, bit by bit, being patient. Secondly, it means acting as a professional toward others, especially those above you. If you're blindly spamming your SoundCloud link across social media, then you need to stop doing that because it's not professional. Professionalism is being real, it's developing relationships, it's adding value and being respectful of other people's time. Third, being a professional means taking ownership of all aspects of your music career, if a career is what you truly want. 
You're not sitting around hoping that a manager will come and take care of everything for you. Instead, you're taking initiative, you're working on your branding, you're booking your own shows, you're learning the business. You know that eventually you'll have someone to do this all for you, but for now, you're handling it. And you're handling it for two reasons. First, because you want a manager to come to you and not the other way around. And second, because you want to have the experience and skills to judge the competency of that manager. If he can't do what he's supposed to do better than you can, why would you work with him? Takeaway four, it doesn't need to be so complicated. I'm quite a systematic person and I have a tendency to overcomplicate things so that they sound cool. I do this especially with music production. But through running the podcast, I've learned to appreciate simplicity. Music production is complex, but it can also be simple. In fact, many of the guests that have been on the show view music production as a relatively simple thing. World is a great example of this. His episode is the most popular, and I also think it's the most awkward. It's my fault, not his. Why? Because I wasn't prepared for how simple his answers were. His answers were always some variation of, I don't know, just make music or just listen to more music. And I really like that. I think it's easy to make things more complicated so we can avoid doing them. In a way, overcomplication is a great form of procrastination because we feel more justified to not do something if we perceive it as complicated. But what if we view music production as a simple thing? We just have to come up with an idea, arrange it, find the right sounds, and then mix them all together in a way that sounds good. If we think of it like that, it's not as daunting. Figure out how you can simplify, even if it's just a simplification of your perspective. Takeaway five, humility is common among successful artists. I don't think there's been a producer on the show that has a massive ego. Many of the producers who've been on talk about artists that they look up to. They say that they're constantly amazed by these people and admit that they've probably never ever reached the point that these artists are at. This is humility and when you possess this kind of humility you stay hungry and you learn more. Another example is Zach Waters. In episode 32 we were talking about how his drops sound massive but are really quite simple and he said he uses less elements because he doesn't have as much experience as some of the other guys who can make their tracks sound massive using a lot more stuff. He basically just admitted that he wasn't as good at mixing as these other producers. Overconfidence and ego are the opposite of humility and should be avoided if you want to improve. Takeaway six, everyone has something to offer. This is kind of a small takeaway, but I wanted to add it. I get a lot of people recommending guests for the podcast and it's really great that this happens because so many good discussions have taken place as a result. But if I'm honest, sometimes I'll check out a recommendation and kind of just pass over them. Maybe I don't like the music, maybe I feel they're not well known enough, or maybe I'm just tired and can't be bothered. When someone recommended that I have Audio Freak on the show, uh, I had a look into him, but I'd never heard of him or his music, and he had a pretty large fan base and his music was spectacular, but I still had this feeling of, uh, can I really be bothered doing this? Well, I emailed him, and my interview with Audio Freak is by far one of my favourite. I would have never guessed it. My point? When you're talking to another artist or even just considering talking to one, be of the mindset that they are interesting, that they have something great to offer you. Chances are they probably do. Takeaway seven, 
artists are more approachable than you think. As long as you do it right though. Early on, I was nervous about pitching guests and even more nervous about having them on the show. Three things helped me get over this. The first was just manning up and not being scared. The second was realising that they're just normal people, like I am. Elan Bluestone gave me this advice after I interviewed him for Freshly Squeeze Samples, the company I used to work for. He just said that these well-known producers are just normal people, so have a normal conversation with them and don't feel starstruck. And the third thing was having something to offer. In my case, it was the podcast and the audience. Producers want to come on the podcast for two main reasons. One, so they can add value and talk about what they love. Two, so they can gain lifelong fans. So what does this mean for you as an artist? First, it means that you shouldn't be afraid to approach artists, especially in person. Second, you need to have something to offer. I'm not a big artist, but I do run a reasonably sized website. And if someone emails me and it's all ask, 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 then I'm really unlikely to respond in length. What do you have to offer? Sometimes it's as simple as just sharing their music and leaving nice comments. I recommend doing this before actually asking them a question or messaging them. Hang around their socials and support them. They'll see your name pop up more and more and they'll begin to recognise it. When you message them, they'll be more inclined to respond. Number eight, the industry is complex. Before starting the podcast, I didn't know much at all about the music industry. I knew there was a lot to it, but not this much. Interviewing industry people and becoming good friends with Bertie Vault, manager of San Holo, World, Julu, and co-founder of Heroic, opened my eyes to how complex the music industry is. I'm not going to go into why it's complex, because that would take too long. But the unfortunate truth is that there's a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of middlemen, a fair amount of corruption, and a lot of money-hungry individuals. Because of this, you have to be on guard, and you also need someone you trust to help you navigate it. A good manager, in other words. A bad manager can make your life really stressful. Uh, And Booty and I talk about how to find a good manager in episode 36. So listen to that if you're interested. But the music industry is not all bad. Don't let what I said put you off. It's in a better place now than it's ever been, and it's becoming more and more transparent. For more info on the industry, Listen to episodes 42 and 44. Takeaway 9. Adapt or die. One reason the music industry is complex is that it changes so damn quickly. Because of this, you have to keep on top of everything. If you're still focused on getting signed to a label so you can release on Beatport, you're way behind. That is not what you should be focusing on. It's not comfortable to do new things. It's easy to follow the traditional route, but it won't work. Listen to episode 42 with Austin Kramer, 44 with Sebastian Lintz, and 47 with Louis Lavella. Those interviews will give you a new perspective. Takeaway 10. Focus on the craft. Despite all these changes in the industry, one thing remains the same. The quality and originality of your music is what matters most. All industry guests and label managers have said this and continue to say this. They report that there's a lack of good quality and original music. They're hungry for it. But Sam, it's hard to make good quality original music. Of course it's hard. Why is it such a bad thing that it's hard? Doing hard things is satisfying and when you commit to working on your craft with unprecedented intensity and focus, you will feel great about yourself. 
And it's the best thing you can do if you want to build a career. So those are my 10 takeaways for you. Hope they come in handy. I'm going to share another four takeaways. These are takeaways that may not be that relevant, um, but there's some things that I've learned from doing these interviews. Um, I'm not sure how many. I mean, we've done 50 episodes, 49, but there haven't been 49 interviews. Um, So the first thing I've learned is that you should always follow up. Uh, Some of the best interviews I've done have come after one or two follow-up emails. Now, a lot of people won't follow up via email because they think it's annoying. They think that the person on the other end gets frustrated and uh, has less respect for you. Not true. Um, artists and people in the industry are used to being followed up. Uh, and when someone follows up with me, I don't get annoyed at all. Um, so make sure you follow up. The second takeaway is uh, that you shouldn't undersell yourself. Now, when I started the podcast, I neglected pitching big guests because I thought it was impossible to do so. I'm not talking big as in like Calvin Harris or Skrillex, but just reasonably sized artists uh, with a decent following. So the takeaway for you is when it comes to asking for advice or even a collaboration, don't undersell yourself. Know where your place is. Uh, So for instance, don't try and pitch um, someone who has a million followers on SoundCloud when you've just started producing. That's not going to work. But also try aim a little bit higher than just where you're at. Uh, You might surprise yourself. So always aim a level up, just not five levels up. The third takeaway is to always take initiative. Uh, Many interviews have fallen through the cracks, even though the guest to be was really excited. Artists and people in the industry are busy and won't always take the lead, especially if they have more value to add than you do. Um, So, you know, I have emailed people, I've pitched them, they're keen to be on the podcast. I don't follow up or I don't set up a time um, just because I get really busy and they just fall off the radar and if I try follow up months later, no response. Um, so always take initiative, always lead. And the fourth takeaway is to not underestimate the power of small talk. So I used to think small talk was lame. Um, I would go to social events and couldn't stand it at all because uh, I was like, let's have a deep conversation. Let's talk about something um, real, you know, but that was an ego thing. Uh, very much an ego thing and the interviews that have gone really well have typically begun with five to ten minutes of just small talk just chatting Uh, like where are you from how's the weather that kind of thing Uh, and it's extremely hard to build a real connection with someone you don't know without first engaging in small talk and that's the point of small talk to find out what the other person really cares about so takeaway for you as an artist if you meet another artist at a conference or something Don't be afraid to engage in small talk. It's about finding out what makes the other person really passionate and then asking them more about it. So that's it, 14 takeaways from 49 episodes. Uh, Hope some of these help you. If you have any questions about any of these um, or any thoughts, then hit me up on Twitter at edmprod or email sam at edmprod.com or simply leave a comment below. I'm going to leave you with some of my favorite excerpts. I hope you enjoy them and I'll see you in episode 51. A lot of people, especially on social media and in production forums, use the phrase good music markets itself, typically in response to uh, people who will ask a question about marketing or how can I get my music out there. I mean, at times I've agreed with this, but you know, in, in some respects I don't. What do you think about it? I think the answer is yes, but there should be an annotation. 
I think good music market it markets itself after it's been exposed to X amount of people. The same thing, if you're an amazing painter, right, you just sit inside all day, year in, year out, you make the most amazing paintings, but you never take them out of your house, then yeah, that's, <laughs> you know, that's like, you're never going to win. Um, so I think definitely music makes the difference, you know, um, but, but this is, I think there is mediocre music that is very well promoted, so it does well. I think there is. So why does it, why does it do well? If it's mediocre? It's a good question. I think there, there is an extent of marketing where music can be mediocre enough to still satisfy the common people's tastes. And therefore, the marketing, if it's strong enough, will be able to saturate a market. Think about really stupid pop music that dominates the charts, right, and radio. Um, I think that it, it, it hits that baseline level of satisfaction for the masses, but it's not per se artistically next level. Right, yes, yes. Yes, but, but with, with good marketing, and especially from big record labels who, who dominate charts and certain slots on the radio, those can just be pushed into getting traction. However, of course, this process becomes a, a lot more efficient if the music is actually great. And I think the artists need to realize that, like, I, I think a, a good comparison here would be blogging, for example. Uh, we, we had this discussion earlier, uh, you and I, about content and how much you create and how much you promote. And I think, I think consistency is absolutely key with music, like put out a single a month, for example. However... If you're not putting in the effort to market that single, and if you think marketing just means uploading on SoundCloud, then that's an uphill battle. If you had to start again at square one, what would you do differently, if anything? <laughs> See, this is, this is the worst question because I'm, I'm one of those people who wouldn't change a thing. Mm, like mm. every mistake I've, I've, I've made every mistake in the book. And, but, but like, if I really have to pick something, um, let me think I would, I would probably, I'd probably tell like upcoming producers to put a lot less emphasis on trying to get like booking agents and, and managers and finding the right labels. Like, I really believe that all that stuff will come to you mm. when your music is ready. I, I just, I feel like people are like, are in a rush always. Like they want things to happen so fast, but like life is not a sprint. And I know it's like the oldest expression in the book, but like the race is long, man. Like just chill out, enjoy yourself, like have some fun, like making music. The reason you're doing this is because it's fun and you love it. And like mm. that for me is, is what I would tell people is like, I, I didn't probably do that in the beginning. I was like very focused on on finding the right labels, sending the music out to people, like pushing myself onto people before I had any place to be there. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I think that there's a it's good to have a grind and to work hard and to sell yourself and all that. But at the same time, like chill out, like put your feet up, go outside, have a beer, like play some golf, whatever it is that makes you happy, do that as well. Don't forget about all the beautiful things in life that, um, that sometimes a real passion can kind of take you away from. 
I, th- I think that the number one reason people have creative ruts in the first place is because uh, they have the check up to a certain point and they're like, oh, what's, what am I supposed to do next? You know, I think that's, that's the biggest source of a creative rut. And uh, the problem with that is that you're looking at the whole thing in terms of limitation. You're looking at like what it doesn't have. And um, yeah, so I, I always try and keep a mindset of what awesome stuff can I create from here? You know, what, what, what cool possibilities are there for creating a cool sound uh, or, or, you know, what, what are the possibilities of what could be done here rather than what needs to be done? I guess the, the first thing I think is really important is um, you, you want to have a day job, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and I hate saying that because I, I want, I don't want people to think that, oh man, you know, Noah's telling me not to follow my dreams. <laughs> That's the exact opposite of what I'm saying here. Definitely follow your dreams. Mm-hmm. But you have to be realistic. Um, unless you really know what you're doing, and you met the you, you've met the right people, and those people like you, and they're willing to do you a lot of favors, mm. you aren't going to be making a ton of money in music. You might you might be you might be able to make a, li- a good living. Um, you know, I, I know plenty of people. You, you you might be one of them. Um, but there's there's plenty of people out there that do just fine. You know, they don't have any other sort of any other sort of job. Um, mm. But there are way way more people that are not doing well, mm. and, and they you know they are trying really hard. You know, you know, God bless them. Uh, they're they're like very good, but they're barely making ends meet. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, there's a lot of kids in high school or a college that, uh, you know, they, they're like, they're only going there, like, like in their mind at this moment, they're going to college or high school. It's as a, as a formality yeah, because yeah. they're going to be the next big DJ. Um, and it's funny. I read all these articles, uh, about, you know, music and the current, current state of the industry. And, and they're like, yeah, kids don't want to be. Aerosmith anymore. You know, kids want to be Armin mm, or, mm. or Hardwell. They want to be a DJ. They don't want to learn how to play guitar and rock, you know, with, with four of their friends. They want to be up there by themselves playing, you know, you know, playing tracks you know, that other people wrote or that they wrote and, you know, have a big light show and, and throwing their hands in the air and that kind of thing. That's the new, you know, rock star. Mm. Um, and so I, I think it's really important for kids to have these big dreams, but at the same time, um, you have to realize that there's just, there's so few people that really make it big. I mean, like, you know, they want to be the next Armin. Mm. If you think about that, <laughs> Armin has been do Armin has been the only Armin. Exactly. For, for what, like 15, 20 years. Yeah. Something like yeah. That. When are you going to, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't want to sound like a jerk when I say this, but it's just, it's, it's, it's hard to see someone like become the next that, you know, mm. like the, the only, uh, the only guy that I can think of right now that's at that point is Hardwell. Mm-hmm. It's one guy, you know? Um, so I say, uh, you want to have a day job. You, you, it's, it's, it's not because you can't make it because you certainly can't. Like, yeah. I think I'm, I, I, again, I, I hate kind of like sounding like I'm bragging here, but you know, I, I think I'm kind of living proof that, you know, you, you can, you can, have both, you know, you can leave your dream and you, you can still, you know, have a day job where you're contributing to society and, mm. uh, you're, you're, you're being a good human being, uh, by, by pr- providing, you know, a service to your community. 
I think monitors would be a close second to headphones. If you can only get one, mm. I would get headphones because your room probably sounds bad, mm-hmm. which means it will fool you even with $5,000 studio monitors. That's the problem. I don't want anybody to go buy $5,000 monitors when they're in a bedroom studio. That's no. one of the, the dumbest things you could do. <laughs> Um, I and I mean that in the nicest way, just because you're never going to hear what those monitors are giving you because of your room. Um, yeah. So, and that's that's kind of a new concept for some people to realize your room changes the way you hear things. It colors your sound, so it's going to affect how you mix. So headphones will eliminate the room, and I think that will get people going faster um, and get some results quicker. If uh, But beyond that, you do want to get a pair of monitors, even affordable ones, as soon as you can as your next up- upgrade because you need to have at least one other set of speakers, ideally, to check your mixes on. Mm. And also, headphones sound different than real speakers, just because the stereo imaging is different, because there's their speakers literally strapped to your face. Yeah, um, yeah. And so it just changes how you hear things. So I think it's the perfect combination is a pair of affordable monitors and headphones, and you can flip back and forth, and just sort of hear the differences and the nuances, and wake up your ears a little bit too, because your ears get used to your headphones and they get used to your speakers. So you need to flip back and forth just to stay um, unbiased and to stay, you know, have perspective, I guess. A lot of your tracks, are, uh, they sound really simple. Like in, in the drop, I think it was your, I think it was the Faces remix. Yep. Um, yep. I feel like a lot of, of artists feel like they have to add more to make it sound huge yeah well it's kind of the opposite yeah i think um for a lot of producers trying to make their tracks sound huge like there's guys like dyro and stuff like that that have heaps of elements in their tracks yeah yeah. and they sound freaking massive but i think that's down to the fact that he probably would have been mixing in his studio for 10 years and he knows exactly Mm. what everything sounds like and how to put it together and a lot of beginner guys um, who put way too much stuff in their tracks, it just sounds really muddy and messy. And I think it's just down to experience when it comes to that. So, um, I mean, I've only been producing for six years compared to all these guys that are producing for like some of it, even which like 15, 20 years. So like, I, I just know that I can't, I don't have that experience. So by, um, by going by the old saying, less is more, I think I feel like um, I can get a better result. Yeah, no, for sure. So you would encourage new producers to, to focus on that. Yeah, less is more. Definitely make the most make the most of as uh, as little tracks as you can. So mm. as little channels. I think my track no quarter was about nineteen channels. So hmm. um, yeah, confine yourself. Don't don't be afraid to like. Yeah, sometimes you need to go. Sort of. I mean, I've just finished a track remix that was over a hundred channels and. Wow. Um, a lot of those were just individual effect channels. I used yeah, to group yeah. all of my effects onto one channel and that was probably not in hindsight, the right way to do things. Like, um, I wrote a Psytrance track. I think the first one I ever released, it was called life and death. And I remember putting the effects, the drums and the synth sounds all on one channel with all the same effects. And uh-huh. it just sounded really weird because everything like was sounding the same. Yeah. So like, uh, if I have my time again to go back and change that, then I'd obviously segregate them all into different channels. Right, but, um, yeah. but uh, yeah, the end result was cool, and I I really enjoyed making that song. So um, yeah, I was I was quite proud of it at the time. This is this is not necessarily music industry related, but it's something I know you're passionate about, and, and so am I. We both read a lot of stuff about uh, productivity, how to do your best work. 
and I think this is super relevant to creatives, especially producers. So if you could give uh, three pieces of advice on how to you know, do your best creative work, what would those pieces of advice be? Oh, I love this stuff. Okay, 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 okay. So I was listening to a Kevin Kelly interview with Tim Ferriss. I think the second one recently, very, very interesting character. And he said something that I've been thinking about for the past few weeks. And I think it's very, very strong. And so there's this Zen proverb that is, and I may butcher this completely. I think it is when you walk, just walk. When you sit, just sit. Don't wobble. Mm. In other words, if you're going to be doing anything, just do exactly that thing. That means when you're with friends, don't look at your phone. That means when you're working on writing or production, don't have your emails on on the back end. It means fully dedicate yourself to the task at hand. I think that's a beautiful thing to strive for. I think it's also incredibly difficult because we live in a distractive environment, you know? And uh, I think that goes hand in hand with something that you and I have actually both made a public statement about, right? (laughs) Deep work challenge, yeah. Yeah, and so deep work, for those who don't know, is basically a coin termed by Cal Newport, who is a very interesting character, and I think he's early 30s. He's a professor of computer technology, but at the same time has two or three New York Times bestselling books. Um, One is So Good They Cannot Ignore You, and the other one is Deep Work, and I think there's a new one underway. And uh, what he says... He says two things in those two books and boils down to this. And sorry, Cal, I may butcher this again, (laughs) but um, he basically says this. Okay, so today we're in a knowledge economy and to succeed in a knowledge economy. Right. And basically that means it's the opposite of a, let's say, physical labor economy. You know, so Taylorism back in the day, you were swinging pickaxes or that kind of thing. And so that means that for us, that mostly is sitting behind a computer, doing deep thinking, coding, writing, producing, project management, all those kind of things that really require just dedicated focus, thinking on the task at hand and being creative within that direction. And what he also says is, okay, so the value of that, of that kind of work is increasing, but at the same time, the context of the environment we live in, right? So iPhones, emails, pings, push notifications, all that jazz actually creates a bunch of distractions that make the one thing that's most valuable in today's economy harder to achieve. I think that's very interesting. Now, the other thing he says is this is basically and so good. You ca- they can't ignore you is that there's this generic advice of, OK, you need to do what you love and you're going to be successful. Follow your passion. Yeah. And then you and I know, and, and I adhere with Cal's father here, I think, I think it's a very good premise. And he says, but you're only going to enjoy doing what you're actually competent at or becoming competent at. And anything probably worth doing, you're not competent at from the get-go. Whether that's tennis, coding, writing, content marketing, growth hacking, artist management, all of that stuff. So his premise there is really, it's not about do what you love. It's about do a bunch of stuff, figure out what you like doing the most, then do a lot of that. And then you get this reinforcing cycle where as you become more competent, you achieve more wins, which then reinforces both your confidence, but also gives you a feeling of, Hey, I love doing this. 
meaning you're going to put in more hours. And so that cycle repeats. And if you then take that to the other book, right? So deep work, he basically says to become very good at a particular thing. If it's a knowledge work kind in the knowledge work environment, you need to do focused, undistracted work with longer spans of time, let's say two, three, four hours and do it in a way that we call deliberate practice. So basically it's not just, okay, I'm going to churn out a simplistic blog post with some SEO keywords in there. <laughs> no, it's like you need to push your boundaries in your deep work so that then you expand basically your, your circle of competence, but also um, at the same time, just get more comfortable with expanding that all the time because otherwise right if you repeat the same thing over and over when it's very simple you don't per se learn this is going to be a tough question i asked this to my friend in the last episode and he had some trouble answering it but what is something and you can both chime in if you want what is something that most people disagree with you on <laughs> something that most people disagree with can be music, can be business related, anything. Hmm. It's an interesting one. I do like it. I do like the question, Sam. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, I think um, in, in Scotland and the UK, people, the majority of people still don't think that, um, you know, you can make a career out of this. Mm. Um. And it's like Stephen always says when we're doing talks and the seminars and stuff, um, you don't need to be Michael Jackson to be in the music industry. Mm-hmm, of course. Um, and it's like we come up against a lot of people that say, you know, get a real job. Um, and it's like that's just a mentality thing. That's just that is just society. Why do you, why do you think that exists? That kind of mentality. I think creative people, musicians, uh, actors. You know, you get loads of different types of people in certain industries that, you know, it's like get a real job, you're not doing real work, you know. Is it because we actually enjoy the work? I don't know. I think that's part of it. I mean, for, you know, knowing uh, the backgrounds and stuff of what we've been doing, this is definitely like the realest job we've ever had, Mm -hmm. Um, especially me. And um, I think that it's just that part of it could also be self-doubt. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's envy that we're out there trying to do something. Now, the thing is that this is uh, this is not a joke. This is very, very hard. Yeah, um, and there, it really is not always pretty. You know, and social media can sometimes maybe convey that, uh, and maybe misses out on some of the hard work that's going on in the background. And people maybe see a polished, finished article that, you know, they maybe don't know the story behind it. So, you know, it's quite hard to hear that as well when people say that, because for us, it is very real. As I say, we are putting in the hours. We're, we're, we're working really hard. We, we you know, me and Stephen are, are in the studio or in the office till late hours, as Stephen said, mm. having discussions on the direction of our life, of our goals, of, of the business. Um and it's it really is not easy. So I would say part of it could be you know self doubt or maybe someone regretting not following their dreams. And that, you know we've all been there. We've all been there. But I think <clears throat> for us over the last year or so, we we've certainly tried to eradicate any sort of feelings of jealousy or, or envy. And I think the more you you're able to put out the kind of good feeling and seeing people being successful, it kind of comes back on you. So I think that's an important thing Stephen says there. Um, 
for everyone. It's uh, you know you've really got to deep down want other people to do well, and it's like it's almost bred into it's like a survival instinct instinct into a lot of people to to not want that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like yeah. survival mechanism kicking in there. But if you're able to totally switch that. And, uh, become self-aware like, and become self-aware and, and like genuinely switch it though I mean that like genuinely you've got to genuinely care for others and I think when you can do that um, that's when things change but you know and that doesn't to be fair the the um, what do people disagree you know we, we I mean even when that kind of happens now <clears throat> we we try and spin it for a positive but uh, you know like at least at least they have an opinion on what it is we're doing Mm. Um, whether they disagree or not is good. It'd be worse if they weren't talking about it. And that's more Kanye. Yeah, that, that's from that, Kanye West. That's Kanye. <laughs> um, but it's it's so true, you know. So people are always going to disagree with you. You can't possibly have everybody accept what it is you're doing. Mm. And I mean, we we certainly put it on the line all the time when we're putting out some funny videos, and people may think that, like you know, that's totally different as to what it is. But why? Again, why should we be boxed in? We've got a team here of comedians and uh, social media people, musicians, and we're just into having a good time and, and, you know, having a kind of positive environment and a a fun life, really. So whatever that may entail, it entails. And if people disagree, well, you know, we can't possibly please everyone. So Mm. we don't really dwell on it much, but it's it's definitely a good question. Aye, definitely. What's the production technique that you believe is underrated? Uh, okay, there's a, there's a yeah, I can I got a good one that I just started experimenting with, and I think I'm going to use a lot more. Is okay, so you know, um, you know, just band split side chaining. So like, okay, I, mm. I'm just going to call it band split side chaining. So basically, so for example, LFO tool, you put on a standard, you know, you set yourself up with a standard side chain envelope on LFO tool, just to side chain, of course, volume, and. Um, what you want to do is there's on the bottom right there's a there's a filter setting, and you just turn it on and basically all it's going to do is sidechain whatever's underneath a certain threshold frequency that you set, and so it's set, it's, it's set to default six six and change six hundred and change hertz, and you want to raise that a bit. So I've been using that to do my sidechaining on my side trans bases, um, and the last two tracks that I'm working on, I'm like, oh, this is actually working better than you know order, than than changing the velocity of the notes, which is the the previous way I was using, um, because it lets you get a little bit more of an interesting groove to the to the side chaining because that's I mean that's everything inside trance how that kick is is causing that bass to kind of come off in a wave um, for lack of a better term um, but yeah so basically it's just the low side chaining so you hear like the attack of the bass notes still coming in on uh, at full blast but the lows are out so the kick has room to breathe and then that bass gets side chained in um, whereas the the upper frequencies of the those six, 16th note bases are a 16th note 16th note base uh, 16th note base notes uh, tongue twister are unaffected it's been a, a very organic process. I've, I've had some some interesting sort of creative strategies to try and come up with new ideas. You know, I had this thing called uh, chance dance music where I, I got a set of dice and then each dice was sort of like um, had a number. That, or each dice represented something on a particular table and there were different attributes of music, you know. That is so cool. Things. It was just, you know, and, and this was all part of like the creative strategy of yeah. like, hey, how can I push myself further? Like if I set limitations like, all right, today I'm going to make uh, 
Aztec angry trap, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's one of the, you know, the tracks on the, on the album. It started from, from this particular strategy. So, you know, the, the album Audiology is, is, you know, I want to say it's like my best work because um, I feel like I've, I've grown a lot over the past few years since the, the first album. Um, but also it's, it's, a, it's a cool listening experience as well. 